Hello, how are you doing? Well, I hope. Welcome to the 27th reflection based on the Bible in one year reading plan. This one covers days 174 to 180. And I say this every time, but it bears repeating. You may have been keeping up with things and you've reached this point ages ago. What we're looking at today is ancient history to you. Or alternatively, by now you've fallen behind or given up. Maybe you never even got started. You're still welcome to join in with these reflections and I pray that you'll be blessed if you do. Both our Old Testament and New Testament readings mark a period of transition, neither of which comes without its hitches, which probably shouldn't surprise us. When has change ever come easily? But last time out when we reflected on Solomon, we saw that even at the height of their powers, Old Testament Israel were showing signs of trouble. There were cracks appearing. And we saw it in some of Solomon's behaviour. It's been said that all political careers end in failure. And I'm not certain you can generalise that much, but it's pretty much the norm, isn't it, really, if we think about it? And for Solomon, that seems to have been the case. After a period of relative peace, the latter years sees a lot of rebellion start to develop and he ends his life surrounded by adversaries. His son Rehoboam, therefore, inherits something of a mess when he becomes king. But there's a fresh start on offer here and that maybe gives them a chance to reset the relations within the kingdom. Solomon's success had... Uh, basically led to his excess and it had cost the people heavily and they send a delegation led by Jeroboam who was in charge of the labour force that Solomon had hired and asked them, the new regime to lighten the load on them. And I'm reminded of a comment from Margaret Thatcher back when she was Prime Minister in, in her early days when she said every Prime Minister needs a willy. Some people might think that a rude comment, but actually she was referring to Willie Whitelaw, a member of her government, who in many ways held quite different views from her, but was someone she absolutely trusted, who she could rely on, and whose advice she would be guided by. And many of the problems that we have had in recent years is because we have had leaders who have surrounded themselves with yes-men or yes-women, and the voices that just agree with them. Many of them actually owe their positions to the prime to the prime minister or the person in power, and they're not going to rock the boat. And there is great power in the critical friend, not someone who complains about everything you do, because we've all got those, but someone who you know and trust is very much on your side, but will push back a little, but will also know when the right time to do so is, you know, what are the things that really matter? And it wasn't that these weren't available to Rehoboam. He had them, he consulted the elders, and they widely well, wisely suggested, if you deal well with these people now, they will be loyal to you going forward. But he didn't listen. Instead, he went to his yes-men. And he took advice from his cronies. He said, nah, step it up a bit. Be even harsher. And the result was that the people rebelled. The nation broke up. Rehoboam was left with a rump. Just a couple of tribes which became known as Judah. And the other ten tribes just left. And 
they appointed Jeroboam as their king. And that rift between Judah and the other ten tribes, it was never really healed. And it wasn't to either party's advantage to break up. Judah's leadership was a bit hit and miss thereafter. But Israel's was a right mess. And the only real hint of grace in the story is that, that despite that, God's promise to David stood firm. That the establishment of his line continued, albeit in very diminished form. And we as followers of Jesus get to see that even in disaster, God didn't give up on his promise because it was through that line that he would bring Jesus into the world. But in the New Testament, we're also in a season of transition. The gospel moves to Europe in the readings that we've just had there. And thanks largely to the missions of Paul and Barnabas, the church is also transitioning from really a small Jewish sect to something far more Gentile. And how they will handle this becomes something of an issue. You know, do people have to become Jews to be admitted to the church? That was one of the first questions they had to ask. And they held a council of Jerusalem to determine that. And Paul and Barnabas were amongst those arguing that God had already accepted Gentiles on their own terms. And, and who were the church to get in the way of that? Why make them take on some other meaningless ritual? And with a few minor recommendations to enable Jew and Gentile to worship together, Paul and Barnabas's views held sway. But sadly, right after that, division crept in amongst them. Paul and Barnabas get into a disagreement which becomes so sharp that they end up parting company. And it wasn't over something absolutely major. It was a personal disagreement. It was over whether they should take a character called John Mark with them on the next missionary journey. They had been, he had been with them on an earlier mission and only he had gone home early. And Earlier in Acts, that incident was glossed over somewhat and you might have been forgiven for thinking it was quite innocuous. But when you get to Acts 15, you realise that wasn't the case. That Paul considered it desertion, that Mark had deserted the mission. And tension began, is bound to occur. And it is sad that Paul and Barnabas were unable to resolve this. We're never told whether they really ultimately do resolve their disagreement to the point where they ever work together again. Paul does mention Barnabas in letters to the Corinth and Colossae, but which does kind of suggest there was no lasting ill will, but they never we never read of them working together again. However, this story does contain a seed of grace. Not only does the gospel advance on two fronts rather than one, but it's what happens later that's interesting. For it's not the last we hear of this character, John Mark. We have to kind of advance 20 years later where he re-emerges in the Christian story. Paul is writing to the Colossians from a Roman prison cell and we find Mark by his side sending his greetings. Paul also writes to Timothy, who's his young apprentice. In many ways, Timothy becomes what Mark would have been had he gone on that mission with Paul and Barnabas. He has that kind of junior apprentice type role. 
And Paul writes to him, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Get Mark. The same Mark whom Paul had considered so detrimental to the work 20 years earlier that he was prepared to separate from his closest missionary ally. And now that's the one he wants on his side. And Paul is not the only friend that Mark makes in that time, for none other than Peter calls him my son at the end of his first letter. And early church history suggests that Mark would take Peter's account of the life of Christ to produce not only the first of our Gospels, but also to provide the backbone for Matthew and Luke as well. And in the hands of God we see in Mark a man who may have failed, but find himself well and truly redeemed. Things could have been very different for him if everyone had given up on him. But there was one man, Barnabas, who took a chance on him and it made the difference. So how well do we cope when people we put our trust in let us down? How quick are we to write people off or assume they'll come to no good? Or in the midst of failure, how quick are we to recognise potential in someone, to get alongside those who perhaps for no other reason than immaturity or experience have fallen along the way, possibly even causing hurt to us as they did so? Without Barnabas, not only would Mark not have had the opportunity to redeem himself, but many of the fathers of our faith, and indeed we too, would have been a lot worse off for his absence. So I suppose the question to ask are we, is, are we more like Paul and Bar- or Barnabas in this state? Well, if we're like Paul, I hope we're like him all the way. For Paul was also humble enough to acknowledge when God did make that change in Mark. It's easy when we don't get our own way and we're ultimately proved right to go, ha, I told you so. Not so easy to put our hands up and say, okay, call that one wrong. So if we're like Paul and find it difficult to shift our doubts about people, I trust that we too will be quick to acknowledge the good that God brings out of those we doubted. And a final word for the Marks amongst us, because I suspect there's more of them than there are Pauls or Barnabases. It might not be desertion on a missionary field, but perhaps you feel you know that you too have failed or let someone else down. Let yourself down. Let God down. You find the forgiveness of others hard to come by, or when that forgiveness has come, you find it hard to accept, even from God himself. The hardest person to accept forgiveness from sometimes is yourself. Well, our God comes to us in Christ, saying things like, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Our God took on himself flesh in Jesus Christ, and in flesh he absorbed the worst that we could do to him, and overcame it, rising on the third day. And ours is a God who in Jesus Christ, when we failed him utterly, did all of that, that we might once again be the glory in his new creation. Ours is a God revealed in Jesus Christ. A God who never gives up on us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the story of Mark. Thank you that his failure did not spell the end. And thank you 
for people like Barnabas who are willing to spot potential. Help us to be like him and help us to be like Paul too, not bound to prejudice against those who have let us down. And help us also to be like Mark, receiving your grace and embracing and making the most of all the fresh starts you give us. Amen. Grace and peace be with you today. Amen.